This podcast is for you if you want to learn about the wonderful and wacky world of the English language and the people who speak it. If you want to learn English, speak English, and understand different speakers of English, then you're in the right place and you're going to love our podcast episode today. Welcome to English World with Chris Americos. We are a team of language lovers, expert teachers, and native speakers who are on a mission to help people around the world speak English and show the world their true value. We correct mistakes, practice pronunciation, and explore grammar rules while drinking coffee and having fun. So get comfortable, relax, grab a pen and paper, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by English Every Day, an unlimited speaking practice program where you can join live speaking practice lessons with professional native teachers five times every day. There are a lot of courses on the internet and a lot of useful videos too, but the one thing that is missing for most English learners is practice. And if you need speaking practice, then English Every Day is for you. So click the link in the description or go to chrisamericoast.com to learn more today. Today, we have Tiffany with us from English with Tiffany. And Tiffany, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat with me today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for offering me the opportunity and requesting. Yeah, so I was really excited to, to chat with you, not just because you're big on YouTube and, and we talk a lot about YouTube here, but also, you know, I was reading through your bio and you used to work at NASA as a web designer. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Because I'm just imagining, you know, someone wearing a space suit, like writing code <laughs> on a computer, <laughs> like, like outer space matrix or something. <laughs> so, yes, I did work there. Um, what I will say, first of all, is that some amazing people work um, at NASA. So when I worked there, it was well over, I think it was almost 20 years ago when I worked at NASA. Um, I had an amazing boss, amazing coworkers. And just to give you an idea of the type of people that worked there, my, one of my coworkers, he used to work for Disney and Pixar. Mm -hmm. So the, the talent was out of this world. So I'd walk to his desk and see him doing things, dealing with animation or illustration that would really blow your mind. And he said, oh yeah, I used to do this for Disney. I was like, oh, okay. Then another gentleman, um, he and I are very close friends, his family and I, he was our PHP expert. He was the guru. And at that time, PHP was pretty popular, but it's gotten even more popular. But I'd be sitting at my desk and all of a sudden I'd hear him speak in another language. At that time, I wasn't aware that it was Korean, but, I mean, you had people with so many different skill levels all in one area. And it was an amazing experience because even though you were an expert in your personal area, you had other people around you that were experts in their area. So you were constantly learning new things. Everyone was improving because we were all kind of collaborating um, with each other. And for me, I was in charge of the site for, uh, it's called Nizen. NASA's Integrated Services Networks. It's been a long time since I've explained that acronym, but I was in charge of building their website. And I had a very unique uh, situation because my boss for the web team, his, his wife was actually my, uh, how do I say that? Not team lead. She was over the sector that I was building a website for. So if you didn't do a good job, there could be some issues because the person telling you what to do was also your head boss's 
wife. So it was interesting, but they were both amazing. Like I had a wonderful time. I really enjoyed my experience at NASA. Sounds like a really cool work environment. Yeah, it really was. It really was great people. And I think a lot of people um, would imagine that a job at NASA would be really cushy and <laughs> people wouldn't want to walk over, walk away from that. But you ended up moving to Korea and starting teaching English. So mm -hmm. how did how did that happen? Because I think a lot of people wouldn't walk away from the job at NASA. <laughs> very true. Um, very true. So it was also my dream job. Like I went through college, I was a very hard worker, studied hard. Um, so when I got the job, I was like, yes, this is what I wanted. What happened is to give it to you in a nutshell. So I am a Christian. And one day um, I was realizing that my job was amazing, but I felt like I was on this earth to do even more. And I wanted to give back in some way. I wanted to serve in some way. And I wanted other people to experience this joy that I had in my life. And that was the impetus that led me to actually quit my job at NASA. So the main desire was I want to do more. I was doing a lot at NASA, but I felt like I could touch more lives. At that time, I didn't know in which way I would touch lives. So that's what led me to quit my job, but it was a journey. I didn't know that Korea was the immediate next step, but then uh -huh. I went to Korea, planned on only being in Korea for a year, a year turned into 10, and here we are today. <laughs> so how, did, how, did you, how did you pick Korea out of all the places? So you quit your job. Did you just like spin the globe and <laughs> how, how did you come up with Korea? <laughs> so what happened was when I was in university, um, I think about my second or third year in university, I went to a Christian university, Oakwood University. Now it's called Oakwood University. It was Oakwood College when I went there. And they had a program where they gave individuals the opportunity to teach English for a year. So I had quite a few friends that had actually went to South Korea and taught English for a year. So they would come back and they'd tell me about their experiences. Like, oh, Korea is an amazing country. We had a wonderful time teaching English. So it was always kind of in the back of my head as an opportunity to help someone else. And I was like, okay, English could be a good way to help someone. So that's how it actually came to be. I had friends that had actually taught in South Korea. That's so cool. So. Mm -hmm. You knew people who had done it, and then through that program or through that school, there you were there. Yes, it was actually a mission. It was a missionary program. So through okay. our church, so my university is actually a, a Christian university, Adventist University, and they had a missionary program in South Korea. So it's quite a big institute in South Korea. And what they would do is they bring students over or those that had graduated, bring them over and we would teach English and also teach the Bible. So it was a missionary opportunity through my actually through the Adventist church. And I know that they have in South Korea, Christianity is a little different from how it's practiced in the United States. Maybe you can touch on that. So um, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. And the Seventh-day Adventist church is the same in South Korea. Like we are same as it is in America. There are different views of Christianity. For example, an individual that's not a Christian in any way, maybe they're an atheist or agnostic or something of, to that nature. They, some people had misunderstandings of Christianity. Um, so honestly, for me, it was a great opportunity to present the good side. Like students would get to know me and I was not a forceful person. I enjoyed getting to know people. I would teach them the Bible and say, listen, you want to learn English? I can teach it to you through the Bible. 
we can have great discussions. It was never this forcing of someone to become a Christian. But what happened was students that were atheists or Buddhists or of different religions, they would say, you're not like other Christians I've met. Like, you're cool. Like, I like talking to you. So for me, it was a great opportunity to get to know people and leave an impression that was good when it came to Christianity. So I never, I'm trying to think, I didn't have any bad experiences on a whole at being a Christian in Korea. Uh, there are many Christians that were there. Um, of course, around me, we were all missionaries. But yeah, I had many great experiences with students that were not Christians and came to know a Christian and realized, ah, you guys aren't bad. So it was good. <laughs> it was good. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I know when when I was living in Russia, you know, Orthodox Christianity and mm -hmm. Russian Orthodox, it's so different from Protestantism and everything yes. in that realm in the United States. And so uh, that was just, it was different for me, you know, because there are also a lot of, I'd say like cultural behaviors that sometimes we associate with religious people that maybe have no real impact on what their views yeah. are or beliefs are, but people kind of associate that like, um, for example, in the US, smoking is mm -hmm. kind of viewed as like, uh, because it's a negative behavior, it's kind of like if you're without sin, then you probably are yeah. like, kind of a sin to to smoke. So yeah, so, like it would be surprising to see a priest walk out of a church yes. and light up a cigarette and, uh, yes. and these kinds of things. So like some of those lines weren't drawn so clearly in in Russia, and you were able. It was like okay, I I'm Christian, but I don't really know what that means, and I yeah. read the Bible and I. So, yeah, so it was a different experience. You know what, Chris? Um, I always enjoy interviews because you never know the direction they're going to take. And <laughs> yeah. I, I, lo I love this so far. Um, for speaking just as a Christian in general, I grew so much being in South Korea. And I think as Christians, we grow when we are put in situations that are opposite of our ideas or opposite of the way we actually were raised or what we thought to be normal right and i think it expands first of all our understanding of the bible our understanding of how god treats people and i think it also helps us to become more firmly grounded in what we believe you know what i mean like when you really are firmly grounded in what you believe it can cause you to actually treat other people better because you start respecting other people like hey you know i have my beliefs i'm not going to try to force them on you if you want to get to know me you'll learn what i learned what i enjoy learning about God, but hey, I still appreciate who you are as a person. So for me, being in an environment that was opposite of my own actually indirectly helped me become a better Christian, I think. So yeah, you get in those challenging situations, you really find out who you are. You do. You really do. You really do. And you, really I, you know, the stuff that you're talking about right now, I think it's so valuable for a lot of people to hear, even, even people of different faiths. Yeah. Because yeah. really what we're talking about is just having a a deep experience right like a like a, yes. a personal experience with something bigger than you and uh exactly. and so i think anyone who's listening or watching right now can probably connect to that idea too i agree uh, i agree and it it's become students asked me actually right before our conversation i was interviewing some of my students just to talk about their experience and how they've improved and 
I get the question a lot. Why are you so passionate? Why are you so happy to do what you're doing? Like students say, Tiff, you've been consistently happy. Like you've been consistent since the time you started your YouTube channel. And it honestly goes back to what we've been talking about. It's because I have a purpose in life. My purpose is to serve. My purpose is to help as many people as possible. And that stems from my faith in Christ, my faith in God, because Jesus came to the earth to serve. So me as an individual living in 2023, the best I can do is serve as many people as I possibly can. And the sector that I am in right now is English. So that's really what makes me excited and happy to actually do what I'm doing. So when people ask me that question, I'm like, well, to be very honest, it goes back to my Christianity. I want to serve like Christ served. That's awesome. And I mean, I think that shines through your mission shines through in all the stuff that you do. I think <laughs> appreciate so, that. Um, who calls you Tiffany and who calls you Tiff? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is a great question. So to be very honest, when someone starts calling me Tiff, I can tell they know me well and, or they're very comfortable. So of course my name is Tiffany, right? But um, all of my friends, my family members call me Tiff, right? My nickname and students, I've noticed, I don't say anything when it happens, but as students get to know me better, get more comfortable with me, they naturally say Tiff. So there are some students that, for example, Fred, you know, Fred, yeah, Fred yeah. will say Tiff or Tiffany. It's kind of interchangeable, but usually when a student gets very comfortable, um, feels very close to me or has been in my academy for a while and they realize, yes, I might this, be this quote unquote famous person on YouTube, but when they get to know me, they're like, oh, wow, you're just a nice person. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the same person you see on the screen. So it, it kind of takes the nervousness away from them. And then over time, they start saying, Tiff, thank you. And I'm like, hey, you're welcome. So, yeah, yeah I just heard you give that example. The students say, hey, Tiff. And I so I had to ask. About <laughs> um, so after living in Korea for so long, how long were you there again? About 10 years. And that is a really long time. So you speak yeah. Korean now, too? I do. Mm -hmm. Wow. And do you have like chances to to practice it still? Or is it is it in that stage where it's like kind of getting rusty? I feel like my Russian since I moved away from Russia, just like just I don't yes. use it so much, <laughs> even though I'm in a house with Russian speakers. It's my job to be the English speaker in the house. So I yes, I don't get a lot of practice. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's funny. Literally last week, I just got back from Korea last week. So my Korean best friend, um, she and I were teachers together. She ended up marrying my student. So like, I'm very close to their family. Uh, she had a baby. So I went to visit them in Korea for about two weeks. And I realized how rusty my Korean was listening. No problem. I could understand everything that was being said. But the fact that I teach English, so I literally have to speak English all the time. It gets a little bit yeah. challenging to practice. Um, so to answer your question, it is tough. It is challenging. Um, but going there and coming back made me realize I need to figure out a way to keep it up. Um, but it also, another thing that I uh, appreciate about my journey to becoming the English teacher that I am today is the fact that I learned another language as an adult. So it helps me understand my students even more. I understand their trials, their struggles, their frustrations, um, when they feel happy, when they feel a little bit insecure about their speaking abilities, because 
I went through the exact same thing. So now fast forwarding, I'm not living in Korea. I've been away for a while. My life situation has changed. I'm not using it on a regular basis. So now I understand that even more. Okay, yeah. how, how do you actually continue improving your speaking skills when you're not living in a certain country, when you're not surrounded by people that speak that language? So now it gives me more, uh, gives me a better ability to reach those students that are in my community. The ones right. that are like, Tiff, I actually spoke really well, but now I'm really rusty. I understand what that feels like to be in a group of people, know what they're saying, and you know you have it in you, but you just can't bring it out fast enough. I can yeah. speak to that feeling. So, you know, I feel like going back and visiting, it also gives you that taster because you're like, oh, I'm, I am really rusty, but also, it's really cool to have that experience, I think, because it highlights the fact that languages change. Yes. Like I really noticed this when I moved back to the States from Russia. And then after a year or after a few, a couple of years, I went back after the pandemic had happened. And now yes. there's all this new vocabulary. And now there's all these new phrases that people say and maybe some jokes that were made up during that period of time. And then and then now all the stuff that's happening with Russia, like yep. if yep. I go back now, I'm afraid I'm gonna yeah. miss half the conversation. Exactly. Uh, so Very true. That happens definitely, yeah. Yeah, uh, with Korean and write the writing system in Korean. You know, a lot of people say that it's challenging, it's difficult. I get that for Russian too, but I feel like it's so much closer to the Latin alphabet than mm -hmm. than than Korean, for example. So, uh, what about for you? How long did it take you to learn the the writing system? And, and like in general, if someone is listening right now and they're like, "Hey, I, I'm." learning Korean, I want to learn Korean, like, what should they expect in that in that journey? So ironically, uh, Koreans, like the writing system of Korea, like the Korean language, um, scientifically is one of the most advanced and one of the easiest, actually, it looks complicated, because it's very opposite of ABCDEFG, right, our alphabet. However, the Korean letters are actually in the shape of your mouth that your mouth makes or whatever's happening inside of your mouth. So for example, there's a K sound, right? Well, to make the K sound inside your mouth, it actually is kind of, let's say a horizontal line and then a slant, like the number seven. And that's what the letter actually looks like in Korean. <laughs> so once you learn these simple things, you're like, oh, wait a minute. So learning the letters, actually was very fast. It didn't take long at all. I think we learned it maybe in about, I don't want to give the exact time period because I was studying for a while. So it's kind of a little bit blurry each stage, but learning the alphabet was actually simple. Um, the basics of the alphabet, because they have a system where several letters put together make a separate sound. So learning that part can be a little bit challenging, but just the beginning of learning the alphabet is quite simple. Learning the language, I'd say in about a year or two, I was able to speak the language, right? I was able to, you know, buy what I needed to buy, have simple conversations. I'd say I was at the intermediate level, but to get to the advanced level, I was at the, yeah, the beginner intermediate level. To get to the advanced level, is a little bit more challenging because it requires you to think in the language and it requires you to be around other people or at least expose yourself to natural Korean conversations. So what happened to me, 
I'm a very studious individual. I love studying. I love learning. I've always been like that. So I was studying very hard, but I got to the point where my Korean friends would say, Tiff, your, your Korean is good, but you sound like a book. And <laughs> as an English teacher, I think we've had that happen before. Where we have a student that speaks very well, but they don't sound natural. Like you, you sound like a book. You sound like literature as opposed to a native English speaker. And that's what happened to me. So I had to change my learning style. And that's actually what led me to develop the strategies, the methodologies that I actually use right now, because I went through that. So oh, cool. I would say to become an advanced Korean speaker, I'd say you need about mm, three to five years because the last part, trying to become an advanced speaker requires you to change your thinking, understanding the jokes, like you mentioned earlier, Russian jokes, understanding context, understanding in which situation, what expressions should be used or how Koreans think. And I actually also was in grad school in Korea and that helped me a lot because I had to learn a lot about Korean history. So I understand mm -hmm. Korean people very well. And when you understand a group of people and a culture, it makes it easier for you to express yourself in their language. Definitely. So many people learn language without the culture aspect and you can see it in the, when the interactions yeah. happen. And exactly. Usually it, it involves a lot of like carrying over idiom mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. certain phrases that they think should automatically work that don't. And, um, yeah. and vice versa, right? Like the same for you or I speaking another yeah. language. We'll do this. Um, exactly. So coming back to YouTube, um, what role do you feel YouTube plays in the journey of students to becoming fluent in English? When you say YouTube, do you mean my channel specifically or just YouTube as a whole? As, as a whole, as a platform. Mm. So I'll start off by giving a story about one of my students. When I was in South Korea, um, about my maybe fifth year of teaching, I had a young man walk into my classroom and he was about 19 years old. He was quite young and he was a quieter guy, but when he spoke, he had a lot to say. And I remember the very first day he came to my class, you know, he just did the nice introduction and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, his, his accent, his pronunciation is pretty good. A week or two went by and I gave him his first exam. And he spoke almost as good as we do. So I was in shock because he was so young. So I naturally assumed, ah, he must have lived in either Australia or an, somewhere in America. So I asked him, oh, okay, so did you study abroad? He said, no, I've never been abroad. And it caught me off guard. And I asked him, what did you do? He said, I watched YouTube videos. And I never <laughs> forgot that moment because he was proof that even if you're not able to go to another country, or even if you're not able to study directly with a native English speaker, or even have a tutor, it is possible. So I think that YouTube is an integral part of anyone's English journey. And I say that because it's free. Even if you yeah. have a tutor, even if, you have a, if you're going to an institute, you can get on YouTube at any time on any day and watch a lesson totally for free and you have a variety of English teachers. So one thing I tell my students is I am not the only English teacher. I have always happily mentioned other teachers because it's not about competition. It's about us being us as English teachers, helping 
millions upon millions of other English learners, actually probably billion, improve their English speaking skills, helping them achieve their goals. So I might help them in one area. Chris, you'll help them in another area. Rachel or Emma or many of the other English teachers have different skills. So it gives the student kind of this vast array of English teachers that they can watch for free. So I do think YouTube is extremely important. That, that story that you shared is, you know, it reminded me of one from, from my time in Russia again. Um, I met a young guy, he starts speaking English and I'm like, are you from the Bronx? Like you, he sounds like, <laughs> sounds like straight from New York. Like, uh -huh. like, where did you come from? And we start talking a little bit more and then every now and then I hear some kind of little moment where I'm kind of like, oh, wait. And then, but like, other than that, I wouldn't notice. Uh -huh. So I'm, I, I'm like, this is crazy. What, what did you do? How did you do this? And we get to the point where he, he listened to Eminem songs for, you know, wow, 15 years and, <laughs> and <laughs> he just listened to rap music for 15 years and became wow. better than wow. like most of the people who had been studying in private courses for, for years and years. <laughs> His listening skills must have been amazing <laughs> yeah. because Eminem rapped very, very, very fast, even for American. So, wow. Yeah, he, he had never been to the States. He had never been to any other country, actually. And I was just, I mean, he was really, you, like, if you looked at him, you would think he's like a rapper guy, you know? So, yeah. Uh, wow. I was shocked. But yeah, so that situation, it's just crazy how not like i have to say that not everybody can do that though you have to yeah. be like really obsessed about mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. it and, mm -hmm. and if you have that drive you can but but it's hard i think yeah it's true it's true if people can just go to youtube and watch the videos then mm -hmm. how critical is the teacher really and how much depends on the student mm, okay great question so to answer the question in the first part, people have different learning styles. So the most important thing is for an individual to know their personal learning style. For example, I am a classroom learner. I enjoy being in a classroom, a physical classroom with a teacher who I can bounce ideas off of, ask questions and get answers in the moment. I like that kind of learning style. I can learn on my own to a point, but I do enjoy the interaction with a teacher. However, I have another friend, his learning style is um, he doesn't need a classroom. He just needs people around him that are actually the people. He learned Korean faster than I did. He just started interacting with people, never paid for a class, just started interacting with Koreans. So you first have to know your learning style. What is your specific learning style? Because even if you learn from other people, they actually are your teachers. They don't have yeah. the title of teacher, but you're learning from them, right? Just in a different way. So to answer the second part of your question, teachers are indispensable. It's just, they might not be in the classroom. It might be a teacher from a YouTube video. It might be a teacher in the form of your friend who you met during a language exchange, right? That person still is operating as your teacher because you need someone to guide you along your pathway. It might not be a step-by-step -step process where it's day one, do this, day two, do this, but you are analyzing what that individual is saying, how they're reacting in certain situations, their body language. They are acting as your teacher. So 
teachers are definitely indispensable. And second, again, students have to know their learning style. Uh-huh. So, I mean, because sometimes we get we get this um, feeling from from students where it's like, I showed up to the lesson, mm -hmm. I talked to you for a few minutes, why do I not feel like my, my English is better? You know, like there's the, okay. you have the contact time with them, but in order for them to really get the result, I like understand. I, yeah. the teacher is helpful, but don't you, but uh, you know, maybe I phrased it the wrong way the first time, but I think the, the student has a lot of work to do even with the teacher without. I understand teacher. now what you're asking. Yes. Okay. So in a teacher student relationship, in my point of view, the teacher is between 10 to 20% of the work and the student is 80%. And I try to encourage my students whenever I'm teaching them, I remind them of that. I said, listen, I can give you all the tools, but I can't build the house for you. I can give you all the ingredients, but I can't make the food for you. I said to teach them an expression, the ball is in your court. I'll give you the ball. What are you going to do with it? And once that clicks, students normally kind of realize, oh, I have work to do. I actually, um, in another conversation I had today where this topic was brought up, I mentioned that there are two things that are needed in order for a student to pick up that 80%. First, they have to have a purpose. Why are you studying English? Is it to get a job? Is it because you want to travel abroad? They need to have that purpose. Why are you studying this language? Because you already speak your own language perfectly. So why do you need English? The second thing is English learners need someone to believe in them. And I've noticed that many times students will come to my academy and they've never had someone that believes in them, right? It's not just, okay, I'm your tutor. You're paying me. I'm going to, Hey, during this hour long session, I'm going to teach you well after that. Bye. See you next week. <laughs> I don't ever want my students to feel like that because I genuinely care. Even for the students that are on YouTube that don't pay me anything. I genuinely care about everyone on the opposite side of that screen. I'm talking to a camera lens, but I care about that person. And I hope that comes across the students that are not able to pay. They only are able to use YouTube for free because when you believe in someone, they start rising to the challenge. Hey, if, if Chris believes in me, I can do it. If Tiffany believes in me, I'm, I can do it. I, I can put the work in because she believes in me. He believes in me. Um, I was an athlete and some of this idea comes from being an athlete and the hard work that I had to go into. I played basketball. I played soccer. I played softball. I played all these sports growing up. And when your coach believes in you, you do more than you realize you can do. Your coach will go hard on you. Why? Because your coach sees your potential. So I don't go hard on students. I gingerly encourage them, you know, to, hey, you can do more than you realize. And recently what I've been doing for students that I see a lot of potential in or students that I recognize really need someone to believe in them um, and to vocalize that belief, I started making them leaders of groups. So in my academy, we have different study groups, like right? different practice sessions for students, student led teachers aren't there. Yeah. I make students leaders of those groups and literally the students that become leaders, they start off here, little nervous, not able to speak confidently within weeks, 
English skyrockets, confidence skyrockets, and now they're in turn encouraging someone else. So now they have a purpose and they also know, hey, Tiffany believes in me. Let me step up to the challenge. So that's that's so cool. Um, you know, coming back to the the point that we were talking about about Korea and you know, improving your your knowledge of the language. So so we talked about, you know, going to live in another country, going to travel, going back to visit another country, but us as English speakers speaking a foreign language in our experience there. And there's kind of an opposite experience I want to highlight too that I've had, and maybe you can feel the same, that after living in Russia for a long time, I was there for eight years, you were in Korea for 10 years. And then after coming back to the United States, I found that actually the way that I spoke English had changed and that I had been speaking English in the context of English teaching and with people who needed additional context and needed simplified phrasing and different things like that. So I'd been doing that for such a long time and trying to be in circles where it was mostly Russian and, and we weren't speaking English. And so I had been doing that so long that when I came back to the States, people sometimes in, in the first you know, few months, people would say like, oh, that's kind of different or, oh, like, why did you say it like that? Or, you know, so I felt that. And now that I've been back in the States for six or so years since then, I found that my my teacher voice okay. has has gotten weaker and that my like native voice has gotten a lot stronger. And and so I come back to I mean, it's a long way to, to come back to the story, but a lot of students want to speak like a native. Mm -hmm. So what does that even mean to speak like a native? Just to answer the first part, I experienced the same thing when I came back. Mine was more of though I kept adding Korean phrases when I spoke in English because I was speaking Korean so much instead of it being an English reaction, I would react in, in Korean. Um, my friends were very understanding. So was my family. So my dad's pretty funny. He just kind of go roll with the punches. He was like, yep, I understood that. And he had no idea what I was saying. But so family and friends, they kind of understood, like you've been away for a long time. We get it. You speak another language. Um, so they were very understanding. Um, when it relates to students wanting to speak like a native. So I think I have a very unique situation because I teach upper intermediate and advanced English learners. I don't teach beginners. Um, when I was in Korea during my last, no, it, it happened early. I started recognizing that there was a missing piece for the advanced English speakers in other countries. Beginners, I, I could teach them, right? I could teach them, you know, how to you know, learn or memorize. I could teach them, you know, different grammar rules or things like that. But my passion was actually in teaching people how to think and speak English. Yeah. I realized that I had, I guess, a gift or a talent for bringing that out of people, no matter what their uh, background was. And the same was true actually in America. So I've never been shy up front. I've always been okay with being up front, giving speeches, giving sermons at church. And that's something that is not even connected to English. It's some people are nervous, some people aren't nervous. So those things or techniques that I use that make me so much more comfortable up front, I wanted to give them to my students. 
well, I can't give those to beginners because beginners have not learned the foundation yet. So I realized my niche was actually in the upper intermediate and advanced level. And I started doing that even before my YouTube channel when I was in Korea. So to answer your question, I always had the native voice because my students wanted that. So it was like, okay, I'll just be me. I, I literally can just speak the way I normally speak. Granted, I didn't use as many idioms or as many slang phrases when I was in Korea because they didn't know what I was saying when I would use a multitude of idioms or um, slang. I used them in the right amount when I was in Korea, right? They were yeah, very yeah. intelligent, right? Since being back in America, though, I'm around Americans all the time. So my current students, I mean, every time we have class, every interaction, they're getting five, six, seven, eight new idioms, three, yeah. four new slang terms. Why? Because I'm surrounded now by Americans. So my students are elated. They're happy. Like, yes, this is what we want. And for me, when I started my YouTube channel, I was still living in Korea. So my teacher voice was a little bit stronger, right? And it was stronger because I can teach you in a professional way, in the sense of like, if I go to a company, I'm gonna give you five ways to do this. Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, and then breakdown. I can speak to you in that way and immediately turn off the relaxed Tiffany and turn on the professional Tiffany. That's not a problem, right? But what I noticed was after a while, I started integrating like story time. I don't know if you've seen some of my videos, like at the end of every YouTube video, I give a story about my life. Mm -hmm. When I give that story immediately, you're going to get slang. You're going to get every colloquialism, every idiom. I'm just going to speak to you like I'm speaking to you right now, Chris. That's how I speak yeah. to the students. And I noticed that students loved it. This started about three or four years ago. And I've continued doing it every single video. And students tell me that's my favorite part of your videos. And it helped me realize, yes, it's important for us to teach things, but it's more important for us to teach it in our way, using yeah. our personality as the main, as the main focus. So it's a little yeah, bit easier, I think, because my students want the native. I'm like, all right, I'll just speak to you like a native. And uh, what do you think about non-native teachers? Can students learn from non-native teachers too? Yes, I'm so glad. So I'm actually in the process of creating a program for non-native English teachers, um, because when I was in Korea, the way our institute was set up, our non-native English teachers, they could only teach the beginner levels. They couldn't do intermediate and advanced. That's the way the school was set up. Yeah. And so I would observe because my friends that were the Koreans that were the teachers, they were amazing. Their English was great. I was like, I wonder why they can't do the intermediate and advanced. And even they would say sometimes, no, it's a little bit more challenging for us. Like we miss some parts. So it's a little harder for us to teach it, even though they could speak, it was harder to teach it. So I started analyzing things and I realized, Chris, when you and I were in school, high school, college, we were taught how to think in English. We were taught how to organize our thoughts based on the five W's. We were taught how to give reasons, details, examples. We were taught how to write an essay properly. These things actually made us more advanced English speakers. We went from being elementary school speakers to now we can write college essays. We can speak in a professional environment. We were taught these things. Non-native English teachers, they've never been taught that. 
They've never been given those techniques. So I realized, oh, you guys are super intelligent. It's just no one has given you the tools you need to transfer this information to your students. So to answer your question, yes, I think it's definitely possible. However, I don't think the tools are currently being given to non-native English teachers. The goal is for me to give them these tools. Like I want to put the power in their hands because students can't necessarily afford to come to America or go to Europe or Canada or even afford a tutor, a native English speaker that's their tutor, but they can't afford the English teacher in their own country. So if I can train that teacher and give that teacher the confidence that they are able to take their students from intermediate to advanced, I feel like I can change the world basically. Like I want to give them the tools like, hey, here's the tool, run with it, change lives in your country. So absolutely. Do you think you could really tell if someone is from the United States or not by how they speak and their accent? If I talk to them for a little bit, yep, because it goes back to culture. So yeah. you might be a very good speaker, but there's going to come a time where there are certain nuances, certain things that, ah, OK, your English is amazing but there are certain cultural things that they might've missed out on. So it's not a matter of, oh, your pronunciation is not that good. Because if I go to New Orleans, I've had <laughs> friends, you know exactly what I'm saying. There I can't people, understand. I can't I don't understand. Know what you're saying. I, hey, hey, I know you're speaking English. And this is not everywhere, but there are certain parts like in deep parts. It's same thing with Maryland and DC. There are certain parts of Maryland and DC the accent is so thick. I can understand it. Why? I'm from Maryland. I'm from DC. But someone coming from the opposite side, maybe California, will speak to them and say, I don't know what they're saying, but they're still a fluent English speaker. So I, I try to remind students, yes, pronunciation is important. However, don't be discouraged because even in America, there are places that we can go that we don't understand other native English speakers. So right. I think it's more based on a knowledge of culture. And that's something I also try to do in the academy. I teach a lot about culture in a fun way. Like I taught about Subway. Like I took video of getting a Subway sandwich. Why? That actually represents our culture. Our culture is based on your opinion, your idea, your choices, which is very opposite of many of our students' cultures. Korea, you go with the flow. You do what everyone else is doing. America, no, you're independent. You have your own ideas. And that's representative of Subway. Subway in Korea is totally different. Yes, you can get what you want, but I found my Korean students when they'd go to Subway, just give me whatever's on the menu. And I was like, oh no, let me get this. Okay, a little bit of that, a little bit more of that because I'm American. So I found that teaching students things like that about culture and then connecting it to language, it just starts to click. So that when they do come and visit or when they do interact with another native English speaker, they're not in shock. They're like, ah, Tiffany told me about this. And all of a sudden they start feeling more confident because they're not shocked. They're not nervous. They understand how Americans or native English speakers think. I think another thing that um, sometimes I try to remind students of when we have this kind of conversation on this topic is that like the other person also, like the person you're talking to plays a role in in the conversation in the communication yes. so they forget about that sometimes and they think like i know english so now i should be able to approach any situation and get what i want out of it but yeah. that is like a lot more work to get to that level than uh you know because they might approach someone we're talking about culture right so they might understand 
American culture, English speaker culture better than a person mm-hmm. who has lived in the United States all their life, who hasn't yes. been exposed to any other culture. Yes. And so it, it, and, and then the question of being fluent, it's like students will ask me, well, how can I be fluent? Well, ask the, ask your friend who doesn't speak English. If you speak English, that friend mm-hmm. will probably say you're fluent in English. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. to a person who knows zero words, a person who knows 10 seems like they know the language mm-hmm. and, and work that up. And then you'll mm-hmm. come to the United States and you'll know all the words and all the stuff. And you'll meet a person who speaks in a completely different way. And it's wrong, according mm-hmm. to the rules. Mm-hmm. And now you'll feel, and then he'll say, no, you're wrong. I've been speaking this language my whole life. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I'm, I have this funny phrase that I told my students. I, it's, it's ironic that when we learn a language, like learning a language, you spend so much time trying to learn how to speak like the people who have forgotten the rules. Mm-hmm. We okay. try to learn rules mm-hmm. to speak like the people who forgot the rules. Exactly. I, I tell my students all the time, listen, I'm not your grammar teacher. That's one thing that I'm like, I will never teach you grammar. I'll point you to some good grammar books. But like you said, we don't even focus on the grammar rules after we know the grammar rules. So, yeah, it's true. Do you think that the community of English teachers on YouTube in general is positive, negative? What has been your experience with YouTube as a, a teacher creator? As far as them interacting with me as individuals, like. Yeah, overall on the platform. I mean, even other channels interacting with you, other people, I mean, me getting in touch with you, stuff like that. I've had a very positive experience. I've, every English teacher I've interacted with, whether it be via interview or via email, they're very sweet. The word that comes to my mind is sweet. And I think it's reflective of our job. Like we literally are giving constantly giving to help somebody else speak our language, trying to help them understand. And that takes a special person to do that. Someone that actually really cares about someone else's well-being. So the interactions I've had with English teachers, yes, everyone has a different personality, but across the board, whether someone's an introvert or an extrovert or whatever their personality might be, at the heart, Everyone has been extremely sweet and kind, extremely sweet and kind. The the guy I met, Bob, the Canadian, I've met, um, oh man, oh, what she's British, not Emily. Um, anyways, Rachel, I've interacted with her via email and other people as well. Everyone's been extremely kind. So yeah, I've had a very positive experience. Yeah. That's great to hear. Um, Lucy. Sorry, I was trying to think of Lucy. I was oh, like, I know Lucy, okay. Yeah. All, everyone has been extremely kind. Well, how would it make you feel if someone dedicated their whole channel to making videos about the mistakes in your videos? So I, how would I respond to this question? I'm in a very unique position and I'll say this because students have become ambassadors and I don't really get negative comments um, because students come very quickly and say, don't do that. Tiffany's a a kind person. And so it kind of mitigates that uh, tendency of people wanting to be negative. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm saying that to say, I don't foresee anyone coming to make negative videos about me. Let's say that does happen. Mm, 
if the entire channel's about me, I would reach out to them privately and say, hey, can we meet via Zoom? I wanna talk to you and see what's going on. For me, there's a phrase, hurt people hurt people. So if someone has dedicated an entire channel to picking or being or nitpicking at someone's mistakes, um, for me, it says more about them and I want to speak to them to see, hey, like what's going on? Like what's what's really the issue? What's what's really happening? Um, and not in the standpoint of being angry, like how dare you? It's more of, hey, let's talk. What's going on? Like I think there are other things you could talk about on your YouTube channel, like what's really going on. So I would actually reach out to them personally to have a private conversation. Um, I would never ever respond in a video um, like slandering their name because that's not who I am. I don't think retaliation is not the best thing to do. It's more of people are, we're all human beings. So if you talk to someone one-on-one, -on -one, you get to understand who they are and their reasoning for their actions. And I think that has a greater effect. What if it came down to you have a popular channel and they want to grow theirs and they know that by creating this controversy, they're going to grow their channel. What if it just came down to that? Would That's an excuse, not the root. <laughs> so I, I keep talking to them like, that's not what it is. Let's keep talking. So whether it be, oh, I need money. Okay, that's the real issue. You need money. And you've seen on YouTube, people that do reaction videos get popular and they get more money. So even in that, the issue is not with me. The issue is you need right, more money. Right. All right, so let's talk about that. Why do you need more money? What's going on? Oh, my mom is sick. Okay, so what other ways? I would actually seek a way to help them. Like, hey, how can I help you? As opposed to you slandering someone else's name, not even just mine, how can I help you with that? And this is something that's genuine. Like I would genuinely do that as opposed to immediately getting upset. That sounds like a great, a great reaction. And anybody who is uh, dealing with that right now, maybe that'll give them some uh, motivation. Um, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. So last question, Sure. you know, in, in just a few words, how can you kind of tell us the whole story of how you went from NASA to blasting off your YouTube channel to two and a half million subscribers. <laughs> so in a nutshell, if I were to tell that story, my goal as an individual has always been to help other people shine, always. When I was in elementary school, um, I was the individual, I was always top of the class, but I was also always the person creating study guides for everyone in class for free. Why? I wanted everyone to shine. That has been my motto my entire life. And it wasn't until I started the YouTube channel and things started progressing that I realized, oh, this is who I've always been. Nothing has changed. It's just showing itself in a different format right now. So going from NASA to Korea to now on YouTube, and yes, the channel is big, but the model still remains the same. How can I work hard to serve and to make other people shine? And right now, the people that I want to shine, and I'll continue doing this forever, I think, are English learners because they are amazing and I can just help them by giving them one tool to take their lives to the next level. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to have this chat today and tell everybody where they can find you. So you can find me on every social media platform, Speak English with Tiffany, and that's T-I-F-F-A-N-I. -F -F so Speak English with Tiffany. Um, you'll find my academy, Speak English with Tiffany Academy.com. So just use that handle, speak English with Tiffany, and I'm on all the platforms, and I would love to interact with you. Awesome. And we'll put all the links under the podcast episode, under the video. So thanks again. 
Uh, Thank and you. See everybody next time. See you all next time. Thanks again, Chris. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for tuning in to English World with Chris Americos. Now it's your turn. Don't just listen to English, speak English with us every day. Join our English Everyday Speaking Program today. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.